Lord willing, we're going to finish our series on heart this morning. I don't know if I'm excited about that or not excited, because I've really enjoyed, like really, really enjoyed talking about what it means to carry the heart of God, mostly because God has just been reigniting my heart to things. And I don't know about you, but I love, love, love having my heart connected. Do you ever go through the motions on something because it was just the thing you're supposed to do and your heart was disconnected with it? That's exhausting, isn't it? Have you ever just done life without connecting to the heart of God just because you know? Like you feel like the people of Israel in the desert. Like I'm just here, I'm following the cloud, this is what I know, but like your heart's not formed in it yet? Am I the only one? Okay, good. And yet when, when... that makes the times when our hearts are connected that much more special. And so I'm just so excited that God's been connecting our hearts to his heart, and I'm looking forward to that continuing, um, whether we do the series or not. How many of you were here, were la- were here with us last week on Sunday or Thursday? And you got to hear Jake drop a bomb on us. Do you realize how brilliant the Spirit of God working in him and his cooperation with the Spirit of God was last week? That was world class. World class. And so, if you haven't listened to it or you missed it, go ahead and listen to that. Take, take a, uh, a notebook with you and take notes. If you were here and you kind of checked out or forgot, listen to it again and take notes. It's, you're a rock star, bro. You're a rock star. And we appreciate you. Do you ever have a life or death experience or, and, and it changed your perspective a little bit? Okay, so we live in the modern world. So for most of us, the life and death experiences, we're driving in a car. We go to change lanes without really paying attention. And we didn't realize there was an 18-wheeler next to us, and we almost die, and all that adrenaline rushes in. And for the rest of that drive, hopefully, we remember to check our blind spots, right? Usually, a life or death experience changes us, at least in the moment, right? Like, whoo, Jesus, thank you. I just almost became a road pancake. Am I, right? So we're, we're left filled with adrenaline. Uh, we have a, a heart for, of thanksgiving. Maybe our purpose is renewed. Our thankfulness to God is renewed. But how many times do we forget that? Like the next time we're driving, something similar happens. Because it didn't fundamentally change us. It was a life or death experience, a salvation experience, where we needed the power of God in that moment, and yet we weren't actually shifted. It's easy for us to forget. Some of you here this morning, some of you men, forgot why you married your wife. You forgot. The years of morning breath... have created a fog around you and you forgot. No offense, ladies. Some of you ladies for in here 
forgot what your husband's muscles did to you. You forgot that your husband was once smoking hot. And that little ripply muscle, whichever one you liked, has been covered and insulated. And you, and you forgot. It's easy for us to forget. Like some, some of you, when you got with your husband or wife, you're like, man, God, you have done something for me because I do not deserve this. How many of you, how many, I'm going to walk you through a little exercise. It's going to be healthy for your relationship. How many of you, when you met your spouse, I'm setting you up, so start thinking right now. Pay attention. How many of you, when you, husbands, when you met your wife, she agreed to marry you, you're at the altar, you're like, God, this is your grace and your mercy, because I'm a schmo, and she's amazing. How many of you, guys, all right, let me pause for a minute. We have a men's conference coming up. On November 8th and 9th. It is life-changing. It will prepare you to answer these questions in a healthy way. Every man in this place, high school and up, needs to be there. And you need to bring five people with you, at least. The kingdom of God will, in this region and revival will be advanced in our hearts as we come together and have a system, not religion, not religion at all, but a view of ourselves, of who God has made us to be that will fundamentally change how we live our lives on a regular basis so that the kingdom of God can advance in us. And so men, please be there. All right, we're going to try this again. Because we're not, just, I'm cluing you in, not enough hands going up. Listen, your wife will forgive you if you get it right this time. Men, how many of you, when you met your spouse and she agreed to marry you, some of you are wise men in this joint, she agreed to marry you, you're standing at, your altar, at the altar, you were thinking, God, this is your grace and your mercy because it's way more than I deserve. Yeah. <laughs> His wife's not even in here. Oh, I'm sorry, Mama, I didn't see you. I didn't see you. You're, normally, you're right here in the front. Wise man. Wise man, Papa. Ladies, how many of you, that first time he opened the door for you? Mmm. How many of you, when, when, when he... When you married him and he didn't take you for granted, he got up and made you breakfast. Just thought, mmm, more than I deserve. This is God's grace and mercy. How many of you ladies th- think or thought, thought that about your husband? Wow. All right, we're going to do a, a couples conference. <laughs> I'm really actually rethinking my next series. (laughs) 
We, we, we need to grow in our love for one another. Like romantic love, husband and wife, but we need to grow in our love for one another just as brothers and sisters. And so we have these moments that we, we realize that we, we're getting more than we deserve. Like, like how many of you feel like you got saved by your spouse almost? Like your life was going in one direction and when this person came into your life, Bob and Donna, go for it. You guys are hands up all the way through. You're following with me? Love it. You feel like your spouse came in and, and radically shifted your life. And yet sometimes we forget that, right? In the middle of a fight, or I mean intense fellowship. In the, in the everyday when we're just doing our thing and we run out the door and we forget to give that kiss or that kind word. When we're planning the entire week where kids are going to be and all the stuff that has to happen. And we zone out because we're thinking about, I don't know, whatever we think about. We forget to be engaged in that moment. We for, it's so easy for us to forget, isn't it? The things that have sh- shaped us and transformed us. This morning I want to end the series, Lord willing, like I said, on, on our heart, having a heart after God. We've been talking about the difference mostly between David and Saul. Saul was rejected because he did not have a heart after God. David was chosen because he had a heart that was after the Lord. And we've been looking at the difference between these two men and the way that they saw God and the way that they loved people and the way that they ruled and the way that they pursued the things of God. Because we're learning how to have our hearts connected, how to carry the heart of God, how to be men and women who have the heart of God, who display a heart after God. Not that we get it perfect, but that our hearts are growing in their capacity to carry the heart of God. It's easy to forget. You know, it's also easy to be unaware. Some of you walk around your life like a Mr. Magoo. And you don't even see the wake of destruction that happens in your, in your path. Like, God is saving you minute by minute. See, some of you are unaware. You didn't even raise your hand. Like, you're like, Pastor, I don't even know where you're going. I feel like my life was pretty good before I found my husband, before I found my wife. You don't even realize the salvation that you received. Some of us go around absolutely unaware of the salvation of God in our lives. And as believers, it's easy to forget. It's also easy to just be unaware. Especially if you grew up in the church, like I did. Especially when you, when you don't feel like you have the, the testimony. Do you ever feel really guilty because someone else had a great testimony? Like they did something real stupid and God saved them from that. And you're like, I didn't do anything that stupid, so how good is my testimony? And yet we forget what God has saved us from. Because we don't even recognize... We're unaware of the salvation of God in our lives. And it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to be unaware. Because as Christians, when we talk about salvation, we talk about it as a one-time event. I got saved when. Right? 
And, and we encourage that. Like every one of us as believers, we should be able to tell our salvation t- story. We should be able to tell the story of how we came to Jesus, how Jesus brought us into His kingdom. And we should be able to tell this is the moment, or these were the moments, this is a series of moments that, that I said yes to Jesus. I realized my sin. I understood that there was a God who created me and loved me and made me for a relationship with Him. And I, and I said yes to His gift. But the problem is, when we relegate it to an event, or an altar call, or a date, or a series of decisions, oftentimes we forget about the salvation of God. And the truth is this, a man or a woman, after God's own heart, has God's heart for salvation. David did. Let's look at some scripture together, I want to to read these things. Chapter 22 of 2 Samuel, David is about to say his last words and then there's a little bit more about what he did. But in, in Psalm, or sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 22, we have this incredible song, this psalm that David wrote. He's looking over his life. He's, he's carrying the heart of God as a servant of God and he writes this song. And I want to read the first Four lines of the song, and, or four verses of the song, and the f- last four of the song, so we can see what he's talking about. Look at this with me, if you will. Second Samuel 22. David sang this song to the Lord on the day the Lord rescued him from all his enemies and from Saul. And he sang, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield and the power that saves me and my place of safety. He is my refuge, my Savior, the one who saves me from violence. I called on the name of the Lord who is worthy of praise and He saved me from my enemies. What's the theme of the song that He's singing for us? Salvation. He's saying, my God is a God of salvation. And he, the rest of this song is a list of all the things that he's protected him from and how he, he, he saved him from death. He saved him from traps. He saved him in distress. He saved him uh, through, through powerful works of, of, of his own hand and powerful works of the Lord just sovereignly doing things for them. How he rescued him. How he was intimate in that process how He came to Him over and over and over again, how He watched over Him, how salvation was worked out. It wasn't just this general like, yeah, the Lord saves, this is great. You know, one day He saved me from Saul. You should all expect that God would save you too. He's saying, listen, God has been intimately involved in my salvation from day one, and He has over and over and over again met me with salvation. David was saying, my God is a God whose heart is after salvation. He's been faithful to that. Look at verse 47. The Lord lives. In other words, he's saying, listen, it's still happening. Praise to my rock. May God, the rock of my salvation, be exalted. He is the God who pays back those who arm me. He brings down the nations under me and delivers me from my enemies. You hold me safe beyond the reach of my enemies. You save me from violent opponents. 
For this, O Lord, I will praise You among the nations. I will sing praises to Your name. You give great victories to Your King. You show unfailing love to Your anointed and to David and to his descendants forever. David is saying, listen, understand, the salvation that comes from God is a salvation that He is always operating in. He is a rock of salvation. I can come to Him over and over and over again. In fact, He comes to me over and over and over again and delivers me in the midst of my need. What David was saying in, the, in, in, in essence and behind, kind of underneath it, is that there is always danger. Throughout my life, I am always pressed. Throughout my life, there never comes a place where I am not in need of the salvation of my God. That even in places of rest, even in places of deliverance, even in places where God is doing amazing things and I look around me and I'm saying, wow, this is incredible. It is not me that is doing it just because God has brought me salvation before. It's God literally working out His salvation in my life right now. He's preserving me from my enemies even when I'm not attacking or being attacked by my enemies. David was not unaware. He was very aware of the salvation of God. He carried God's heart for salvation. Why? Because God has a heart for salvation. Right for, think about it. Right from the very beginning when human beings failed and we needed God. Why did, why did we need God in the first place? I think fundamentally, the choice that Adam and Eve had and that you and I would have made if we were them, so you can't blame them, is a choice to reject the salvation of God. God said, I'm putting you in the garden. I'm giving you a choice. The choice is life and the choice is the knowledge of good and evil. Choose life. He said, I'll sustain you. I will deliver you. I'll do everything that you need to take care of you. Don't touch this other thing. Don't think that you can somehow do this on your own. And what did the enemy appeal to in Adam and Eve? He appealed to their desire to know. To somehow figure it out for themselves. He said, God knows that when you eat this, you'll be like Him, knowing good and evil. You'll be able to choose. And he got right to the root of the problem that we have with salvation. Oftentimes, when we forget the salvation of the Lord, we start to take it on to ourselves. We start to think that somehow the position that we're in, somehow the, the, the fight that we're in, somehow the battles that have been won or the places that we're going, somehow we are going to do this on our own. Apart from the, our need to be saved by God. And so we forget. We take it on to ourselves. And yet even in that moment when Adam and Eve blew it, in the moments that you and I blow it, God is in that place saying, I'm going to show you how I'm going to work salvation out for you. He said, prophesied over the woman, he said, your, your, your seed will have its heel, sorry, will be bitten by the snake, but you will crush its head. Meaning, at some point, Jesus is coming and crushing and has crushed the head of our enemy to bring us salvation. God carries a heart for salvation. David remembered it. He remembered this heart of salvation. How do we know that he lived this out? One of the ways we know that he lived this out is because he never touched Saul when Saul was after him. David was anointed king even before he fought Goliath. 
all throughout his service to King Saul, when Saul was after him and trying to kill him, when David would go into Saul's presence and play the harp, and Saul would, would, would calm down and then all of a sudden go, uh, actually, I'm not that calm, I want to kill you. David maintained a heart of salvation. He knew that he could not kill Saul in good conscience. And why? Not because it was just the right thing to do. He knew that it would not be his own hand that would save him. Do you think David could have killed Saul? Do you think he could have been justified in it? Dude threw a spear at me, so I just flung a stone at him. What's the big deal? And yet he refused to touch him because he knew that that salvation and that deliverance would not come from his own hand, but would come from the hand of the Lord. And that was not a one-time decision for, for David. That was an over and over and over again decision. He consistently throughout his lifetime said, I will not touch Saul. But Saul forgot. David did not forget. Saul forgot. We know that because almost right away Saul is trying to figure out how to get this done on his own. He knows that he needs God, but he needs God to cover him, to give him some kind of magic juju. Like, I'm going to do the sacrifices, I'm going to do the prayers, because I need whatever God's got for me, because I need to add that in, and then we're going to go do what we have to do. Saul forgot because when it was too big for him, he didn't go into it. He didn't say, well, the battle's the Lord, so let's go. He sat back and waited for the battle to come to him. Saul forgot that, that God had put him there. Saul, needed to, Saul was put there by God. You know that, right? In fact, Saul was head and shoulders. He was handsome. Everything going for him. But he still didn't have the right mindset that when they made him king, he went and hid. Because he, he knew it wasn't him. He knew he didn't have the power to do it. And, and in fact, Saul had operated with God. There were times when the Spirit of God came on Saul and he prophesied. There were times when, when the Spirit of God came on Saul and he, he was powerful for battle. And yet Saul very quickly forgot, just like you and I do about salvation, that we have been placed in the places that God has put us because of God's goodness and His sovereign grace and because of His current salvation in our lives. And so Saul did what every one of us are tempted to do, which is to start to do it in ourselves, do it in our own strength. We have an illustration of that at Saul's, the very end of Saul's life. Saul is still trying to connect with God, but he's missing it. And he's still trying to do it on his own. In fact, he was so desperate to have God somehow speak into his life because God became silent to him. That he goes and does what he has forbidden to be done in the kingdom, and he consults a witch. And he says to the witch, bring up Samuel. I need to hear something from God. He's so depraved at the end of his rule because he has tried to get it done over and over and over again. He's willing to violate the, the very rule of God on, the, on one of the biggest deals and trying to get a word from the Lord in some other way besides going to the Lord for salvation. And so he forgot. And we have this King David who carries the heart of God and we say, you know what, he didn't forget. But do you know he actually did? David forgot. Turn with me just two chapters back, two chapters forward, 23 to 24. In chapter 24 of 2 Samuel, we have an account of David taking a census. Now, we live in the modern church, and every church planter, every church strategist says you have to know the numbers. Do you know that you get counted every week? You know what's funny? I have several people count and they never give me the same numbers. And, and guess what? They're not even close. 
So people are like, how many people go to your church? I'm like, I don't know. I can't even get the accurate count. <laughs> Thank you to whoever counts. I appreciate you. Keep counting. It is helpful. If somebody has a gift of counting, like you're really good at counting people, come and see me. I'll tell you the parameters. We'll count them up. But there's no way when we have 100 kids in kids ministry because we checked them all in that we only have like 102 people in the sanctuary. We, don't have, we, have, we have a lot of kids, but we don't have that many kids. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And so they tell us that we're supposed to count. And I think it's important to know kind of what God's doing and, and has, as a, a sign of health. But oftentimes, even as pastors, we get wrapped up in numbers. We get wrapped up in numbers. And the problem with numbers is sometimes when, it, when they're really good, we start to think, hmm, we got it going on. New Covenant can get some stuff done now because we're running 367 people on a Sunday. Oh, yeah. And we forget, how did we get here in the first place? And see, this is the problem that David deals with. David, who knows the salvation of God, who talked about it over and over and over again, took a census. And it wasn't that he like, needed to know how many people were in his kingdom just so he could know how much uh, you know, wine that they needed to make for the next year. He did the census because he wanted to know how many fighting men he had. And why did he want to know how many fighting men he had? He wanted to know how many fighting men he had so he could know how many he would have when he called up the army to go and do exploits the next time. He was taking the salvation of the nation and of his people into his own hands. He was forgetting that it was God who does the victory. Why? Because all throughout his life, we have numbers, we know how many showed up, but all throughout his life, it was always, hey, this is how many showed up for the enemy, and there's a lot more than showed up for us. And we see God over and over again deliver. See, it doesn't matter how many you have when you know the God that you serve. It doesn't matter how many you have when God tells you to do it because the God who saves is the one who got you into that place in the first place. And he can save by two, or he can save by 2,000, or he can save by 200,000. It really doesn't matter how many are on your side when you have God on your side. And somebody who carries the heart of God for salvation understands that. And yet David violated his own understanding of a heart after God by counting the people. And what happened when he counted the people? First of all, his, his officers were like, don't do it, dude. They're like, please don't make us do this. Some, some commentators believe that Joab who did this, I think it was Joab who did this, uh, did it extra long because he was kind of reluctant to do it. It's like when you tell your kids to take out the garbage and they don't want to take out the garbage. So they, like, you ask them three hours later how come they didn't take the garbage and they said, oh, I'm on my way to do it. And so they, they take this census. And in verse 10 it says this, but after he had taken the census, chapter 24, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. And the next morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, who was David's seer, and this was the message. Go and say to David, this is what the Lord says. I'll give you three choices. Choose one of these punishments, and I'll afflict it on you. So Gad t- came to David and asked him, will you choose three years of famine throughout the land, three months of fleeing from your enemies, or three days of severe plague throughout the land? Think this over and decide what answer I should give to the Lord who sent me. Verse 14, I'm in a desperate situation, David replied to Gad, but let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Do not let me fall into human hands. And so the Lord sent a plague on Israel that morning, and it lasted for three days. 
A total of 70,000 people died throughout the nation from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. Now, before you feel bad for David, David took ownership of this, but if you read verse 1 of chapter 24, it says, once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. In other words, all the people were guilty at this point of forgetting. That's what happens. God said it would happen. God said, you're going to get into the land. You're going to be safe from all your enemies. That's what David, why he sang the song, we're delivered from all our enemies. He says, you're going to forget that God put you here. And that's exactly what happened. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel that morning, sorry, and it lasted three days. A total of 70,000 people died throughout the nation from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. But as the angel was preparing to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented and said to the death angel, stop, that's enough. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. When David saw the angel of the Lord, he said to the Lord, I'm the one who sinned and done wrong, but these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Let your anger fall against me and my family. And that day, Gad came to David and said to him, go up and build an altar on the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So David went to do what the Lord had commanded him, and when Aruna saw that the king and his men coming towards him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, the Lord my king, Aruna asked. And David replied, I've come to buy your threshing floor and build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Take it, my lord, the king, and use it as you wish, Aruna said to David. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty. And may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. But the king replied, No, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. And David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. See, the consequences for forgetting is not that we have an angry God that wants to destroy us. The consequences of forgetting is that we take ourselves outside of the protection of God. When we take salvation onto ourselves, when we think what we have is good enough, we remove ourselves from the protection and the salvation of God in our own strength. And the goodness of God allows us to experience the destruction that comes with trying to do it ourselves. Because the truth is this. You and I never could save ourselves. Your wife, your husband, your parents, as amazing as they are, as in love with them as they are, will never be enough to save us. Your good family won't be enough. Your good job won't be enough. Living in America won't be enough. Having the Buffalo Bills win a Super Bowl will never be enough. Whatever it is that we think somehow validates our lives and brings us to a place where we're, we're just killing it is never enough. Because the war that we are in is a war for our very soul. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's going to do it every single day. 
And yet, we serve a God that came to give us life and give it to the fullest. And that life to the fullest comes at the price of Jesus Christ and his salvation. I want you to notice something, just real quick. David built an altar unto the Lord. It was an altar that recognized the salvation of God. It wasn't an altar to get God to stop. It really was an altar recognizing that God had stopped. He said, God saved me here. What was his choice? His choice was to, be, was to throw himself and the people of God on the mercy of God. He said, I can't fall into the hands of my enemy, right? Being chased by my enemies for three months, who knows what that's going to result in. I'm not going to say let's let the plague just come through for three years because we don't know what that's going to look like. We'll be at the mercy of our enemies as well. He said, I'm just going to put myself and our nation at the mercy of God. His heart was returning to the salvation of God. And when God in his goodness said, enough, stop. Remember, God's not punishing David. God's allowing the salvation that these people thought that they had for themselves to play out. And in his mercy, he says, stop. And David builds an altar. Do you know where he built an altar? He built it on Mount Moriah. He built it on the place where the temple would be. The place that he longed to build to celebrate the salvation and the presence of God was the place where David built his altar. That threshing floor was the same place, get this, that Abraham built an altar to sacrifice his son Isaac. There's three altars that we're looking at here. The first is David's altar. The second is Abraham's altar. Many of us know the story. Just real quick, we won't read it. Basically, God comes to Abraham, the father of our faith, and says, listen, I'm going to do this amazing work in you. I'm going to make you the father of nations. There's going to be so many kids running around you. You're going to make the Hamlin family look ridiculous. Sand on the seashore, stars in the sky. You will not be able to count. And after God gives him that promise, God promises him salvation through this. And Abraham believes him. God comes to Abraham and says, take that son, your only son, the one who you love, and I want you to take him up on the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. And the story goes as they're walking. The account goes as they're walking up to the sacrifice. Isaac, his son, his only beloved son, says, Dad, We have the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, don't worry, God will provide. That was was a tricky parent response, wasn't it? And yet God provided. They got to that place. He built the altar. He bound his son. He put him on the altar. The one thing, the, the thing that represented the salvation and the promise of God. See, Abraham had tried in his, in his own strength. He had another son with Hagar, his wife's servant. He tried. And yet even in that moment, he was willing to put that thing that, that was, that was the, the living proof of God's word and salvation in his life. He put it on the altar and he lifted his hand. And as he did, he lifted that knife. The Lord said, Stop. You don't have to. That's enough. And he said, look, there's a ram in the thicket over there. God had provided. And they sacrificed that ram there. 
on the very place that David would eventually purchase to make sacrifice to celebrate that God said it's enough. But catch this, that's not the only altar that was built there. There's a third altar. And that's the altar that Jesus Christ made when he carried the kindling, the implement of his death, the wood up that mountain. And in God's grace and in his mercy, the wrath and the for the sin of the world was put onto Jesus. And he died on that mountain. And in that moment, God said, it's enough. That's enough. Why? Because God's heart has always been about salvation. Scripture says, and we all, many of us know this, it's the first verse we memorize, and we can spew it out, but sometimes we don't understand the depth of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. We would be saved. The next verse said, God did not send his son into the world that the world would be condemned, but that the world would be saved through him. God's heart beats for salvation. And it didn't just beat for salvation the day you came to him. It currently beats for salvation. For you and for me. Every day that you and I are alive in Christ is a day that he wants to work his salvation out in you and me. Because not only is God always about salvation. But God is always willing to pay the price for salvation. David said, I will not give to God sacrifices that cost me nothing. And although that's a nice sentiment, where did David get the resources to buy the altar or the place to make the altar? Where'd they come from? They came from the Lord. So the truth is this. God is always willing to pay the price. Always. Why? Because you and I can't pay the price. Glory to God. And yet we walk around with a pride in us like the guy that always has to pay the bill at dinner. Glory to God for those guys. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Even when they can't, they're still trying to pay the bill. Still trying to pay the bill. Still trying to earn, their, earn the right to be respected or noticed. And yet God is always saying, stop. Enough, I'll pay the bill. Some of you, somebody here this morning needs to hear that. Like you got saved, you've been trying on your own, your self-righteousness has crumbled, and you're broken, and you're like, God, I, I just feel like I can't pay the bill. And he's saying, stop trying. Your righteousness is like filthy rags before me. And you're stuck in that place where you know it's like filthy rags, but you can't get to the place where God says, yet my righteousness is in you. 
I have forgiven you. I've paid the price. Come back to me. Carry a heart for salvation because that's a heart that's after my heart. Not sloppy grace, but grace that recognizes that God is always willing to pay the price. And this is the last point if the worship team can come. God does not forget His salvation. Saul forgot. David forgot. Abraham forgot. Moses forgot. Paul forgot. Peter forgot. You forget. I forget. We forget. And yet God does not forget. Because it's His heart. In fact, God has brought you to this place this morning because He hasn't forgotten. His grace always brings us to remembrance. We want to avoid the plagues. (laughs) We want to avoid the enemy. We want to avoid the fight. Anytime we want to avoid the enemy, the plague, the fight, the destruction, whatever it is that we're facing, anytime we want to avoid that, we have forgotten our salvation. We think that somehow not being in the fight will preserve our peace. We think that somehow God removing us from the fight is God's grace on our lives. Listen, God's grace on our lives is the greatest when we're in the middle of the fight and he's saving us. If you're in a fight this morning, God has not abandoned you. He's actually more available to you than you even know. So God has brought us to this place this morning so we will not forget because His grace always brings us to remembrance. He wants to remind us of what He has done for us. Paul, in his, letter, his second letter to Timothy, his son in the faith, his protege, the one he was handing so much of what God had done for him to, said this, chapter 2, verse 8, always remember that Jesus Christ a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. Did you catch that? He's talking about the altars. Always remember, never forget that David, or sorry, that Jesus, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. God is working out his salvation. He said, and this is the good news that I preach. And because I preach this good news, listen, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. 
but the Word of God cannot be chained. So I am willing to endure anything if it will bring the salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those who God has chosen. See, here's the thing. God is faithful to bring us to a place where we don't forget his salvation. But in him doing that, he's not doing that for us only. Because the story of salvation that God is writing in the earth is bigger than you and bigger than me. God is always writing a story of salvation and his desire, Scripture says, is that none should perish. His desire is that all should come to salvation. His desire is that the entire earth be filled with the salvation of God. I'm not talking about universalism here. I'm talking about his desire that every human being understand that salvation is available to him. And how, does, how will the world know? How will the world know that our God is about salvation? The world will only know that our God carries a heart for salvation as his people carry the same heart. Not only for ourselves, but for every person that we encounter. Paul says, I'm willing to be chained and to suffer a little bit. Or suffer up to this point. No, he goes, I'm willing to suffer for an, in any way. In any way that the salvation of God will be known to those who God has chosen. And so very simply this morning, here's, here's the the response that we, we can have to God. First of all, if you just, just bow your heads. If you're in this place, maybe you've never heard about this salvation thing before. Maybe you've heard about it and responded and forgotten. You've been walking away from God. But today, today's the day. Today, today is that day that you start to remember again the salvation of God or know the salvation of God. Today's the day you mark in your calendar November, sorry, October 20th, 2019. I understood the salvation of God. I responded to the heart of God for salvation for me. If you're here this morning and you would like to receive that free gift of salvation that comes in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ, the Son of David, was crucified, dead, buried, but also was rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father in glory, interceding on your behalf and on my behalf, and then someday will come and receive his people to him. If you want to respond to that and say yes to that invitation this morning, today is a day. Would you just raise your hand? I want to see it so I can pray with you. I see those hands. Is there anybody else? You can put your hands down. When we are done, we dismiss. There'll be people right over here to your right that would love to pray with you, give you some encouragement, show you how to walk that out. But for the rest of us, as, as believers who maybe have forgotten, it's time to be reminded of how powerful the salvation of our God is. If you're here this morning and you want to walk in the reality of the power of the salvation of God, fresh and anew, you want to reject all of your own doing it, you, you might feel like you're in the midst of, the, of just that stuff coming upon you, that plague 
coming upon you, whatever it is, you're living in the destruction of trying to do it on your own, or you, you've just started to taste and see, or maybe you've just ignored it for so long, and you feel like, I, in my own self-righteousness, it's, I've just been exposed this morning, and I want to recognize that the salvation of God is alive in me today, and I want to carry that heart of salvation, not only for me, but I want to carry it for the people around me. I want to burn with the heart of salvation that God has given me so that the kingdom will be advanced in my life. If that's you here this morning, would you just stand? I want to pray with you. Jesus, in this place this morning, we want to be the people that carry the heart after your heart. We want to carry the heart of salvation that you have placed in us. We don't want to be those who forget. So God, we're so grateful for the reminder this morning. We're grateful that you're connecting our heart with your heart. God, I pray that as much as we know that this is for us, Lord, you would also use this reminder to engage us in the fight that we would, like Paul, say, I'm willing to endure, I'm willing to suffer, I'm willing to do whatever it takes so that those around me will know your heart for salvation for them. God, we trust you that the battle is not ours, that the battle is yours. We trust you that as the, even as the enemy rises up and comes after us, that you rise up. Even as we are uh, 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 tempted to fear, you rise up with courage inside of us to declare that salvation comes from our God. And we pray that this would be something that's not only we experience in this moment today, but God, this would be the heart that we carry all the time. That we would be those who look for opportunities of salvation in every opportunity that we have, every interaction that we have. We know that you are working out not only our salvation, but the salvation of every person that we are with. And I pray that there would be a divine impartation of the heart of God for evangelism because you have convinced your people of your heart for salvation. God, that today would be a day that marks a transition in the history of this church and of this body and of our lives. That we would no longer be people that are on the defense for your kingdom, but we would be on the offense for your kingdom because we know that your salvation is an offensive tactic and that you are actively working the salvation of your people out every day and you're calling all to salvation as well God fill your people with a heart and with a spirit and with a desire for salvation in Jesus name in Jesus name Pastor Dan's coming now to dismiss us. Just hang tight. If you have any needs, prayer, or anything like that, there'll be people that will pray with you. I pray that you walk out of here so full of the joy of the Lord over your salvation. I pray that in the next three days, you would have the privilege of leading more than one person to Jesus. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Because you know that he saves. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Wow. Wow. <laughs> God, it's good. Uh, the ushers are in the back as they usually are at the doors uh, for your tithes, your offerings.
If you're a visitor with us today, you are under no obligation to give whatsoever. Your tithes belong at your home church. However, if God's touched you today and you have a desire to give, we will receive that with gladness and bless you for it. So uh, just be free. We don't want you to feel you have to give anything, but just do what's on your heart. Um, the giving, op- giving options are on the screen. You can read those yourself, or people will help you with that in the lobby. If you're a visitor, again, or a guest, we have Guest Central in the back. There'll be some people there to greet you, and we have some awesome gifts that you can choose from. Uh, we'd delight to get to know you a little bit better, so make sure you stop back there. Small groups have already launched. You're welcome to jump in. Uh, some of them are full, but there's many that are not. And you, we, we, we need you to be in a small group. How many of you have been blessed with your small group so far this time? It's incredible what's going on. Every time I come together with folks around here, people are telling me, wow, you won't believe what God is doing in my heart, in my life, and in my husband's life, and my family's life through the small groups. That's where good things happen. This men's conference, I believe the Lord has a word ever for every man in here. I want you to think of the least likely people. I believe this is from God. People you think would never want to come. The last person on earth you'd ask that you know. Because they're waiting for you to invite them. God will surprise you. Get the most miserable person at work, the one that cusses, the one that acts up, the ones that comes and hung over, come and hung over. They need Jesus. And they're waiting for you to love them enough to take the chance and invite them. If they say no, they say no. But invite them again. And again, and if you, if you really believe God wants to touch your lives, buy them the ticket. It's an inexpensive retreat. We've kept the cost down. Men, we need you to engage. Think right now. Who would not want to come? Seriously, we all think, oh, he's a nice guy. We don't want people from, you know, we want people from other churches. Their churches are going to invite them. But we want you to think of the one that's out there completely lost, completely detached, far from God. Those are the ones that God wants to bring in through you, because you're the only ones around them that can touch them. Praise God. Uh, uh, Sarah will be in the Corner Cafe over here. For those of you that want to register by check or cash, she'll be able to do that for you. Otherwise, you're welcome to do that online with the church app. Don't forget women. There's going to be a women's worship night November 10th at 7 o'clock. You want to make sure you're here for that. And again, the prayer team is available. There's folks over here and over here people we know that we trust that are anointed to pray with you to bring the breakthrough of God in your life. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. You haven't left us alone. You've sent your Holy Spirit to live in our hearts, to lead us, to guide us, to prosper us, Lord, to care for us, to go to war for us, even when we don't know that you're there, Lord. And when we look behind us, There is not, because of your presence, there is not a a trail of destruction, but there is a trail of blessing. There is an aroma of your presence. There are lives that have been changed and transformed because of who you are living in us and through us. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Go get them and love them in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Here in your presence, Done. Here in your presence.